0: Welcome to Pipeline Conversations, a machine learning podcast by ZenML. In today's conversation, I'm speaking with Goku Mohandas, founder and creator of the amazing online resource Made with ML. Goku has a bunch of practical experience from working with Apple to a startup in the oncology space and much more. In this conversation, we continue to unpack the theme of education in ML, the challenges when it comes to working across the full stack of ML applications, and what he's seen work in his experience uh, working with and creating uh, Made with ML. We also discuss some of the patterns he's seen in the production stacks uh, from his experience consulting with various ML teams, as well as where he sees room for improvement in the abstractions that we all rely on to do our work. Goku has also generously agreed to be an external judge for our month of MLops competition that begins on October 10th. If you haven't signed up yet, if you haven't signed up yet, or want to learn more, please visit zenml.io/competition. Without any further ado, here's the conversation with Goku.
1: Well, thanks for having me. First, uh, Alex and the, and the entire ZenML team. I think I've. Known you guys for maybe a little over two years now or so. And uh, Alex, we met recently and yeah, I'm excited for today's conversation. Glad we're making it happen finally. Um, um, yeah. So uh, my name's is Goku. Um, I've been in the kind of machine learning space slash uh, health space. Love to talk about all of that today. Um, and, you know, my background was uh, in sort of the traditional wet lab scenario, uh, kind of working in uh, biomedical engineering, chemical engineering. Uh, and then I was one of those people who, learned about code and kind of uh, discovered passion for code later on in life. Um, And I think, I think we share uh, kind of similarities there. So I'd love to get into that as well. Um, But uh, yeah, I think, I think once you kind of find like a tool like software engineering or machine learning um, it's, it's pretty empowering to want to apply to your area of of passion or expertise. Uh, So that's kind of the storyline of my life. Um, But the actual applications are kind of all over the place. So Uh, happy to share all of that. Um, But the last, uh, I'd say, you know, year and a half of my life, I've been spending a lot of time in the education space um, and in the health space, but in a different subset of health, um, which we'll get into. But uh, the education space, uh, I have something called Made with ML. Um, It's a community of of people who are trying to learn machine learning, but also know a lot more about machine learning than I do. Um, And it's just coming together to figure out how do we kind of responsibly think about the various parts of machine learning development. And I think, you know, ZenML is a huge proponent here, but uh, the idea of machine learning is no longer just within notebooks or, or tinkering with things. It's, it's about real world applications and and actually deploying things that do things the way we want them to. And that's a lot harder to do with something that's not written with, you know, deterministic rules. Uh, so I think there's a lot more, a um, lot, of, lot of new ideas, a lot of borrowed concepts, uh, from software engineering that people thought about for decades, all kind of coming together, and I just wanted to have a place where I can talk about these things. I can talk, meet other people who are also thinking about these things, and hopefully help uh, a few people learn about these things and have an easier time than you know you and I did um, throughout the years.
0: So, are, are there particular areas where you you have most interest most interest in, or are you kind of thinking more at a at a, at a... Systematic or a holistic uh, level of, you know, doing ML well. Um, where where where's the focus there?
1: Yeah. So if you kind of look at the uh, content there on madewithml.com, it's kind of uh, just a reflection of what I've learned over the years. So uh, in the you know way up top we have like I think I call it foundations, basically just the traditional machine learning algorithms, starting from actually we start from Python like print statements, but getting into um, you know why rule-based things don't work and then how like regression works, how tree-based systems work and then slowly intri- motivating neural nets then some of the more recent architectures. Um, the the reason I kept that stuff there uh, is because it's, you know, it's from like 2016, for example. So it used to be like TensorFlow 0.1, kind of ported it over the years. Now it's in PyTorch, you know, 1. whatever it is now. Um, and I, I always try to implement it from scratch because I think it's one of the best ways to learn it. Uh, but then we also show, you know, the best way to do it uh, at scale and you know with tested code and things like that so that started out as the focus i'd say 2016 2017 and i got to meet a lot of amazing researchers in the in the space through that um, but then i think as more and more people started to learn about machine learning and you you have more resources more companies that are starting to adopt it initially it used to be just like in the ad space or like early recommendation systems but now the beauty which i absolutely want to talk about today is all these niche and and uh, you know very targeted industries are starting to apply ml um, and that's amazing so i started to shift focus more from models only to almost model agnostic now so you can have that model be whatever you know your input space can be anything your output space can be anything Um, whatever that piece can be that can be swapped out but what are all the other pieces around it that we need to make that thing work Um, so you know starting from the actual product the data quality side. People think you know data is ready in a notebook, but there's a in any production setting, there's a whole workflow around uh, you know with the data stack and data ops. So pretty much all the all the components around the actual model um, and the model bit, you know, we that's always going to be changing, uh, which is great, right? Um, but uh, everything else around it, I, I feel we we there's a lot to borrow from software engineering, and there's a, some tweaks that need to be made as well. Not everything works exactly as it is. That's why we have so many tools in this space as well. Um, but it's kind of yeah, about putting all that together and uh, and it's a it's like the, that model agnostic view um, which attracts a lot of people who are amazing software engineers and developers
0: yeah I mean I guess it's so this you see that kind of I guess or you were, you were saying that the scope expands a bit with along with the world uh, as, mm-hmm. as as the the universe of these application expands but as a as a student i guess it's it's um it can feel confronting to see like the list of things that you need to know like continually expanding all the time as well as mlops or ml in general just like swallows other disciplines um uh yeah yeah it's kind of interesting
1: right uh, i remember in university i would have this biochemistry book and it's so thick and i used to think you know 200 years ago i, I how how big could this book have been but 200 years ago, I mean, that's that's another set of difficulties, right? It's new terrain. They're, they're figuring out all these mechanisms for the first time. Now I have the luxury of going through it. Um, the analogy here is that, yes, you know, I think there's more for people to learn in terms of the different processes, the different tools. Um, but hopefully, I think uh, the best practices are, stored, are, are sort of uh, surfaced. Um, and I and I kind of want to, I'm using Made with ML as, as one of the mediums that will allow that to surface, but also amazing tools, right? Uh, like what ZenML is working on and, and a few others in this space, making things easier. So you can still understand it and understand the struggles of, you know, why things are done the way they are. Um, but we, I think the, the current generation can kind of benefit from these best practices that are surfaced, these amazing tools that are uh, reflective of those best practices, allows them to do that without the overhead. Uh, it kind of becomes... Uh, easier to get started now now the i guess the onus is on on our generation to kind of actually use these concepts to build something meaningful uh, so it's kind of just like building up right and i guess that's humanity as a whole right building on the lego blocks of, of previous researchers and scholars and um, and leaders so uh yeah i think it's we're kind of experiencing that at a little microcosm uh, in our own space here
0: um, i'd love to hear a bit about your kind of personal experience of uh, having learned some of this stuff um, yourself, you know, early on, there weren't necessarily great courses, um, or or certainly wasn't as much uh, available uh, to people. And, um, you know, yeah, how you went through that, how you experienced that?
1: Yeah, for me, uh, I know different people are different types of learners. Some people just love to learn something new uh, and and tinker with it. Um, I'd say I used to be, in that category, but that for me personally, that becomes very tiring when I'm just learning something for the sake of learning and I don't have an outlet to kind of apply it. Um, And you also, I feel, uh, you also don't tend to go deeper in some of the weird pockets of of a topic unless you're working on something and building something. Um, So for me, it's always been kind of driven by application. So, uh, you know, started in the wet lab space, um, did a lot of research kind of in the regenerative medicine space with nanotech, Again, a lot of wet lab, but I started to see again, nothing to do with ML yet. I started to see how programming itself could be used to uh, kind of simulate some of the experiments that I was working on, or or even sometimes simple, just like dashboarding, right? Uh just simple analytics and dashboards to try to see where are we kind of wasting our time? What could we what are things that we haven't tried? And again, the comparison here, right? The the state of the art was like keeping track of this in like an Excel or notebook, physical notebook, and people will kind of review that stuff. So a lot of low-hanging fruit, and I think there's still a lot of low-hanging fruit in many industries, uh, including health. Um, but what ended up happening was uh, because of the nature of the health space, you have large unstructured data sets. You know, whether it's in the genomic space or text from unstructured documents, um, the industry started to see, hey, we have this kind of data with these modalities, and also images as well. Right? Um, a lot of medical imaging we have data with these modalities and then there's this new class of techniques that are coming up that are leveraging this are, are, are really good at this kind of data modality and are not written with explicit rules. So it was, um, it was a really good matchup there. And I, I you know, still there's a lot of amazing work happening in health. So I, I kind of benefited from that where I had all these people that were thinking about this people at companies and at universities, right. Um, not a lot of things public at that time, but I, I had, um, I had I had you know their shoulders to lean on to kind of learn about this stuff, work on actual projects that I need to figure out, and this was a very appropriate method to to actually uh, experiment with, um, and yeah, there's a lot of trial and error at that point, point. Um, and even today I still even though there's a lot of resources in your specific application, you will absolutely have a lot of trial and error, um, but I will say maybe there's a better ecosystem for support, um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of uh, channels out there. Uh, you know, a lot of people on, on, on Twitter, for example, um, discourse channels, uh, slacks. So you, there's a lot bigger support out there, but the uh, the process I feel is very much the same, but you have to be working on something I feel to, to do that. And it's okay to get started by learning because at school, you're going to learn for the sake of learning. Uh, you need to get through some things, but get on, get on some, something that you, you care about immediately, because that's going to drive you to a much deeper level of understanding. And you'll meet other people who are also sharing that and, You just meet, uh, yeah. You'll be in a separate world at that point.
0: Yeah, it feels like that was that was probably a nice, um, like you said, a a match between the things that you were working on and the state of what was going on in in the discipline, in the context of of ML at the time. Um, From my own experience, the kinds of things that I was working on when I first started studying all of this was. Well, I was, I was a professional historian, so, um, NLP wasn't really what it is today back then. Um, and so, yeah, I think, I imagine if I was starting now and coming from that same place, I maybe would have had much more of an opportunity for that, um, match somehow. No, Um, absolutely.
1: It's all about that perspective, right. And timing and stuff. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, when you, as you were saying this, I just remembered a quote, uh, I think, I think my dad said it, um. It's okay to kind of like follow your passion. and That's great. Uh, but figure, try to make it as aligned as possible with something that the world needs right now or, or is working on. It's just, it'll just be a lot easier um, for, for you to kind of continue that. So, and there's, you can be so creative about what that looks like, right? You don't have to kind of do the, the same thing everyone else is doing uh, in a certain space. You, and I think, you know, sp- tools and, and ways of thinking like machine learning allow people to kind of go off in those tangents and just create amazing things.
0: Um, so I'm interested in your thought on, on um, I guess the, um, the wider perspective on, on education and um, uh, you know, what what we're talking about is, is people taking agency for themselves and people um, teaching themselves, which on some level is always what's going to happen regardless exactly. of whether they're part of some institution or something like that. But we do also have, you know, University systems and uh, boot camps, I guess, mm-hmm. and there's various other um, organizations and institutions that are educating and training people um, to come into this industry. Um, and some of them are fresh out of uh, college, or others, like me, are, are kind of career transitioners who come with some other uh, domain knowledge, and. Yeah, I guess I'm interested. Like, how 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 you feel that should change? Should it change at all? Um, uh, is that the right thing for that set of people, or yeah?
1: Yeah, uh, I have a lot of thoughts on this. Maybe some may get in trouble for, but uh, we can talk about it openly. Um, first, I have to say, there's no reason why you have to live the next you know whatever eighty ninety years of your life based on four years of education that you probably had no idea why you were doing that anyway. You know, your friends are doing it. You were told it's the next hot thing. So you did it. There's, that just makes no sense. So I love talking to people like yourself who completely flipped that and said, hey, I studied something. I'm interested in this new thing. And it's just, I think it's wired with people that this, you know, the first, whatever, 22 years of your life is for school. And the next X years are just to like exploit what you've learned. But you sh- you should absolutely always be, Super fluid and be open to learning new things, especially if you're bored of what you're doing or you see something really amazing. Spend time in it, tinker with it, meet people. Um, I think you're you and you know I, I have several other friends in the space as well who are as far as they can be away from like tech or machine learning who picked it up, who are who are loving it, and some of them brought it back to their space they were in before. Some of them are pushing this space even further. So I I love that. And I think, um, and the reason I, I mentioned that is because it's, it's hard to do, right. And even within universities right now, uh, the controversial view that I have is most scenarios, right. I, I think some people are, are, would, um, wouldn't necessarily fit this, which is great, but most, in most situations, the professors that are teaching you this stuff, the teachers that are teaching you this stuff in up to, up until like, you know, uh, junior high and, and high school here, that's great to have these teachers who know this stuff, who've done it maybe decades ago, whatever it is, or, or, you know, teachers their whole life and teaching the foundations. When you get into this part, you know, university, grad school, PhDs, you get your, your are you're gearing up for, you know, industry or the real world or your own startup. And I feel it's so important to be educated by people who have like recency and who have um, some kind of interaction with industry at,
0: at, at the current state. Um, and I... And is, I'm, sorry, sorry for interrupting. Is, is that because because the field is moving so fast and there aren't fundamentals yet? Or, or why, why is that? What, what's the reason for needing... Resources? Yeah, so you
1: have fundamentals in the modeling bit, right? I think that's, you know, maybe th- three decades old and that's great. Um, but for this, uh, you know, MLOps and applied machine learning and machine learning with software engineering, that's very much in flux, right? So it's not necessarily someone's fault that they're not teaching this stuff. It is in flux, but to be able to communicate this stuff, you need to have some kind of a touch. And I, the reason I said this is most, because there are some professors who also work in industry now, and I think that's actually becoming an increasing uh, pattern here, which is fantastic. They're able to kind of communicate these things. So uh, this last year, I've been to some universities where I saw professors who have regular engagement with industry or are working part-time and by far their courses are are the best, right? Um uh, their material's up to date, they're actually teaching how to think about this stuff. And the reason that's important is because when you graduate, most people are going to get a job, you know, whether it's grad school or PhD, whatever it is, getting a job. There's that disconnect between what you've learned and what you need to know to actually do the thing, right? Forget about getting the job or the interview to do the to do the actual job. Um there's another disconnect with the interview and the actual job, but that's another discussion. There is a disconnect between what you learn and what you need to do. So who's going to fill this, this bridge? Um, I, I'm sure you've heard of like MIT has like this, uh, the ninth semester, I think is what it's called. They kind of fill in- The missing we,
0: semester. The missing yeah, semester,
1: yeah. right? What yeah. you need to know with Git and uh, you know proper software engineering. And that's really great. And I feel we, ha- we have our own kind of curriculum here for machine learning. And I, I largely feel the- You know, the open source space, the community, you know, fast AI, for example, they've kind of, people are are filling in the gaps here, which is great to see. And it's, a lot of it is free and open source, uh, which is amazing. But uh, yeah, that's uh, the gap.
0: (laughs) But I mean, how much of that is, um, you know, if if the industry is moving so fast and things are changing, presumably at least some of that should be like on the burden of industry to... Not maybe not have such high expectations of people and have more training and onboarding that that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, that's true. Uh, right, most people are are very smart, right? I think, uh, I think everyone equally as humanity we have like pretty equal intelligence here. It's all about kind of what you're subjected to, and if some if the industry can fill that piece, which I've seen a lot of companies start to do, they hire really smart people. Not necessarily you tick off these twenty boxes. But you know how to think about things. You're motivated to think about these things. These twenty boxes that they're looking for can people are trained. You know, in a month or two, which is amazing to see. So, yeah, I think I am seeing a lot of that. Um, yeah, I I will say like even even in the content that I have on made with ML, something that I noticed in the last year, uh, if you look through like the ML ops content, the earlier sections, I'd say like the first half, the fundamentals have surfaced themselves. Um, like you know, experiment tracking, testing to some degree. And that's amazing, right? It's, it's They're starting to solidify, like, what are the best practices? Forget about the tools. What are the best practices? How should you, should you think about this stuff? The, the ones further downstream, uh, you know, around monitoring or continual learning, these are still in flux. And as an industry, we're like, kind of like figuring them out. Eventually, I think we'll have like that first, uh, you know, official guidebook, if you will, for how to think about a lot of these things. And eventually even different stacks for different contexts. That's many years out. Um, but I think it's, it's starting to mature, but it's, uh, it is possible to learn this stuff, but yeah, huge onus on the individual to go and actually do this. Um, uh, but you're right. I think the responsibility should also be shared on the industry side, especially when it's difficult to hire people that will tick all of those boxes for you, hire smart people and get them to learn this stuff. Cause this stuff isn't that difficult to learn compared to everything else I've done before. Um, uh, that onboarding, you know, it can be very crucial to have like amazing people,
0: um, on your team so you kind of were, were touching on 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 the idea of like maturity in the industry that perhaps for some things there aren't there aren't necessarily best practices yet mm-hmm. um how does that square with um i mean there are obviously some companies in the world that are doing serious things with with ml in you know in a, at a very large scale um and um i guess you know doing things which maybe weren't possible 5 years ago and so on um, but then, of course, you know you do have this this gap with many other companies who aren't able to to replicate that somehow. So, is it a question of the industry not being mature enough, or just it being very hard? And yeah,
1: yeah, I think people are starting to understand. Uh, in my head, I think of it two two ways. There's the process, and there's a way how you materialize that process, I- i.e., the tools. So the process side, I think we're starting to mature at a faster rate. And by process, I mean, you know, if you're starting out, let's say, as a recommendation system company or, you know, it's like a company that wants to do recommendations, you can start out with a lot of rule-based techniques, slowly build out perhaps even your, you know, your customer base, your database, uh, and and do rule-based recommendations and slowly, iteratively have that process to get to whole, eventually maybe more real-time scenario, right? Um, and a more mature company, like, you know, the ones you're talking about who've done machine learning at large scale for many years, your Amazons, your Spotify's, for example, um, they've, they've kind of gone through their similar process, but they're at like this and, you know, or this uh, kind of state of the art for, for a specific application. Um, so that, that part is maturing. I think the gap is on the tooling side. So these big companies that have been doing this for a while, almost always, they have very bespoke infrastructure. They have very large teams of machine learning engineers, DevOps people who, they may not even be called that, right? These are people that have been working on this stuff for for years who have put this together. And when you take that to, you know, a small or mid-sized company who wants to be able to do the same thing, who doesn't have these resources uh, and 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 have not gone through the process of iteratively building to even justify that, that becomes difficult. So that's where I think this tooling can kind of help fill a large gap, Um just in terms of just straight up overhead right uh, you don't have like a big team to maintain a large cluster to do something so what tools should we use to offload a lot of this stuff and the actual uh, kind of connectivity is another issue right these big companies have a lot of people that are on call and maintaining these these very uh you know spider web systems out there. you as a small team you you can't really afford to do that um so How do you think about actually stitching together this initial stack that you happen to come up with uh, through, you know, experiments and reading and all of that? So, yeah, like process and tools process. I think people are starting to understand what they should start with, what should be next and slowly add on complexity and motivate that. But then the the tooling bit, either, you know, there's like um, option paralysis. They don't know like which one to actually do to get started with Uh, or, uh, yeah, they're just um, the right tool isn't there yet. And I think that's changing. Um, you know, as we speak, right, the landscape is changing to allow people to comfortably get to the next level of maturity uh, and eventually get to what they want to be, where they want to be, for sure. Um, uh, one other just small point I wanted to add, uh, uh, I, I was talking to some folks uh, in, in the space as well, and, and I think right now it's a big advantage to be for these big companies, right? Uh, the question I think that I was talking about was how do you expect these big companies How can these smaller companies in the same space compete with these big companies? If they have these, you know, uh, state-of-the-art infrastructures to do things more real-time and really personalize things, and they have, like, larger inventories and catalogs, how do you compete with that? Um, Is it infrastructure? Uh, There's, yes, you should always work towards, like, becoming better at what you're trying to do, uh, and that comes over time. Um, But I I think smaller companies, the typical trend that I've seen is they're, they're more clever to, try something different. Um, so, you know, in the recommendation space, maybe you don't just do ads for how everyone else thinks about ads, right? Uh, so be clever about like how you're using machine learning or just software engineering in that space. Uh, then eventually, you know, you will build up a catalog a user base to justify a, a more, you know, a more real time stack, for example, in this case. Uh, so the infrastructure part will eventually level out, but you should always kind of be clever about what you're actually doing with that machine learning and, um, you know I have, I have a lot of similar analogies in health as well, uh, whether it's drug discovery or text processing. everyone thinks about doing the whole thing, uh, but if you can break it up into chunks and augment the physician or the nurse practitioner or, or you know, or the biologist that you fit into industry a lot better, you you kind of separate yourself from other people that are trying to do the whole thing end to end that have been around for a decade or longer. Um, yeah I think it's, it, there's a lot of ways to be clever to kind of bridge that gap as well in the meantime.
0: So, when you're talking about end to end there, you're not talking about like end to end ML, you're talking about the wider process. Yes, exactly. Yeah, the product itself. Mm -hmm. So, instead of going, yeah, from like replacing all doctors immediately, rather like focus on like the one really big pain point or something with some very targeted solution.
1: Exactly right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And you can even have it like my last startup, uh, you can have it wedged in at the points that it makes sense, offer full transparency in terms of like why why something's being predicted or suggested um, and it just works really nice with the process as opposed to like you know that black box approach where you just spit out something at the end and no domain expert will ever, will reasonably trust something like that uh you know even if it's coming from the best universities or whatever it is it just doesn't fit with the workflow that they've been doing for you know 50 years um,
0: yeah um I just wanted to pick up something you said just before around tooling um mm-hmm. It's there are a lot of kind of particularly in the MLOP space, I feel there are a lot of um areas where particularly for people trying to to get up to speed with things, to try out things, to to have a sense of like what that um that setup um that isn't just local and running on your laptop like looks and feels like. Um feels like there as well, there's a kind of a gap in tooling. I mean you do have k3d and whatever minikube to have a you know kubernetes cluster running locally Mm -hmm. and there are some things like that but um a whatever for for cost reasons perhaps maybe there are also just some some solutions which don't make sense at all when running on in very small scenarios i feel like that's that's something where it's it's very hard for people who aren't working in an actual scenario yeah. to get a sense of how these things work. And maybe that just the answer is, well, they should just work in an environment where <laughs> these things are. I mean, I guess in big factories, you have to go there to be in. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Oh, no, that's such, that's a great point. Um, so for example, my learning journey with anything at scale, uh, you know, with Kubernetes, for example, I I never sat at home, spun up a cluster and, tried to like play with my own fake data set or anything. I, 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 my focus was always on like, what am I building? Why am I building it? Um, What is my, my area of expertise uh, in terms of like what I can bring to the solution? These other parts, like interacting with a larger system, I think more people are maybe the responsibilities is is increasing for like your typical ML engineer or even data scientists to start at least knowing how to interact with these things. I learned it on the job. I definitely had people's shoulders to fall on. If that's something you need to know before going to the job, uh we'll talk about that. I think that'll be a, a a it's a difficult thing, right? Like how do you set this up and even when you set it up it's like how do you know what you're doing is the right thing? I so for example, uh in my course I I don't actually focus on I in my head that's like a specific stack almost in my head. Um and you know in, in for example in uh, the last year and a half I've spent a lot of time on made with ML, but also with a lot of different public and startups in the health space, um, genomic space specifically, everybody's stack is different. Some teams had that justified it. Some teams had it where they absolutely shouldn't have, uh, which is a different story. And I was like, why are we even dealing with this? Um, and some teams justify, some teams don't have it. A lot of teams like try to go as far as they can with their existing stack until it's like a big pain point. And only then will they switch. Um, which is, you know, has its pros and cons, but everything, every team stack was different. Everyone's process was different. And you learn those, I call them minutia. It's a big deal in the beginning because you don't know what you're doing, but eventually you will learn that stuff. You'll pick it up. There's people who are doing that. Hopefully, hopefully you're not setting up this for the first time. If you have, hopefully you've done it before. Um, you, you, you have these people on the team to learn from that's the process uh, or that's like the, the specifics of the process, but like end-to-end, like, why are people doing this? How is it possible to do that stuff? You should know about that. Um, So that's kind of what I focus on. And it's been tough, Alex. Like, on the course, for example, I want, as more people are kind of going in, using that stack, I want to be able to showcase that. And uh, I used to have a section, I used to have a whole lecture, actually, on, like, Kates and how to think about this stuff. And Yeah, we use, like, Minikube to go through it. I I removed it because I was like, this is, it's getting too specific for this one stack. Let me just talk about like how it's done very quickly at a high level, but like why would even like what's the end goal of of wanting to do something like this and the specifics maybe I'll add it back one day when it does make sense but i I'm at this level where I'm just thinking about like larger processes itself so for the ml ops uh, sure you have a data set you think about testing that you think about uh, developing with that how do you evaluate the artifacts that came out of that how do you deploy that and then how do you kind of think about monitoring once it's deployed. And then on the other side, I also have, uh, we have like, I just added like a data engineering side. So the data ops side, like in the ML ops, you ex- you, the data set was already there as a CSV, but how did it get there, right? Or or is it even a CSV? How should you think about it? So this one, I also was hesitant, but I ended up adding it and I chose a specific stack. Um, uh, but, you know, how do you think about data sources and destinations? How do you extract data from there? Uh, so we use everything we use is open source, uh, but I do mention like, more, like closed source options that are great as well. But we use Airbyte to extract, putting that in a big query warehouse, and then just using that for an analytics purpose and an ML purpose. So I wanted to show like, what is data? What does that workflow look like? How does your data actually get for your, get there for your application? And I do use specific tools, but there's so many different variations you can have in this stack. And, and I, I make it a very, very important point to just focus on the workflow. Yes, we do use specific tools to actually showcase how this works, but bear in mind that for your own stack, it may look a little bit different. But the the whole process is going to be the same. So you know, for a Kubernetes, same thing. Like, what does that process look like? The specific tools you use, that's going to be up to your team, and you can learn that stuff quickly once you know like what like why you're doing this uh, and like kind of the big parts of the process. Those are those are things you'll pick up, and they're always change too, right? You're gonna have new tools all the time and new APIs you'll have to probably learn. But you know what you should be needing to do or wanting to do um, for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um I'm super curious like especially since since you mentioned that you've been kind of exposed to lots of people's different uh different stacks like are there any common commonalities among them I know you were kind of saying that there were there are lots of different practices and and um uh, maturity levels or whatever there but um yeah what's the picture of of in production at the moment Um
1: let's see maybe we can split it into the data side and the ML side um yep. so the data side I don't see too many people, even, even in like the health space, um, which always gets a bad rep sometimes, like, you know, people are coming from these wet lab scenarios. I don't see too many people just uh, kind of sharing CSVs or, or uh, you know, uh, JSON files, like on an email, it's like, here's a new data set. There's, there's a pretty good maturity in terms of uh, putting things in a, a, like a central location, having... Um, Having, having like credentials around it, who can access it, which is very important in this space. Uh, how do you pull data out of this? How do you know when to pull? Like, how do you know when things are updated, when you have new data that's labeled and ready to go and, and um, assessed and all of that? So there's a lot of maturity on the data side. And in terms of like levels, you know, it used to be CSV sharing and emails and uh, what was that uh, like Google Drive or um, there's another one I'm you on, like Dropbox, for example, that stuff is, is disappearing slowly, which is great. Um, people are at least putting in like a database and people are learning like how to interact with it. Um, and I'll talk about at least in the health scenario, like why that's happening. And then you'll have slightly more mature companies as they kind of grow and their application space grows. They're starting to put data in, uh, kind of like, uh, in data systems that are more, uh, kind of made for analytics or, or, or downstream applications. So, um, you see maturity in terms of just hey, whatever we're collecting, just put it in our lake. We'll you know we'll figure out where when we want to use it. The things that we do want to use, you know, send it to a warehouse and let's have that be central. Um, the reason I, I think this is happening, um, some teams are obviously following the maturity of that they see in the other spaces and, and they're uh, riding that wave. But there are some amazing tools that are making this seamless. Um, So there's, for example, there's a tool called Benchling. There's several others in this space as well. I want to say it's about 10 years old, but might be slightly off there. Um, But all the experiments that you run, uh, whether it's you set up an experiment in the wet lab, for example, with, uh, you know, all the materials, et cetera, experiments, they could be controlled by you, automated, et cetera. But everything that runs is sent to uh, like a repository, a a database. So a lot of this storage and how to interact with that storage is done via tools, um, at least in this space, and I'm sure I'm seeing it in other in other spaces as well. I've seen it like for CAD um, for uh, a lot of like mechanical engineers as well. So this uh, this is amazing, right? So it's becoming easier to properly store and know how to interact with that storage. Uh, so that's the data side, um, and then on the machine learning side, again going back to like the the content. The earlier parts that are more mature, more people are doing those things because it's easier to do those things. The later part, people are either not doing it or they're kind of still tinkering with different tooling options to figure out how to make it work. Um, But I would say as a whole, people are thinking about, people have a better sense of what is machine learning? Where should it be used? Um, They kind of know like what spaces are things that can be actually mapped to. Um, Yeah, that's definitely growing. People are doing a better job uh, of actually, like experiment tracking, I would say so before this this one I still see a decent amount, but people work in silos like this data scientist is doing this project why would they ever need to share their experiments with someone else or uh or like collaborate right so because that was how things work, people work in their own notebooks then they, then they bring it to scripts, and maybe they'll you know write a docker file to write, wrap our API around their models and and send pass that on to a devops team or sRE team to deploy it. Now I see more teams are starting to collaborate. And because of that, you can't just like work in a silo here. So experiment tracking and model registries, these these concepts are becoming more ubiquitous, I would say, uh, which is great because things are actually managed and you can see what other people have done before and have more target experiments, whatever it is. Um, but yeah, the things down the line, uh, like after deploying for time monitoring, that's like, it's all over the space right now mostly because the the tools that are doing that, their demos are great. You understand like what it means to monitor something univariate or multivariate. And sure. You, you start to see, Oh, I have this thing that's univariate. This thing's multivariate. Um, Even if it's unstructured, sorry, even if it's structured, right. Forget about monitoring unstructured things. When it comes to their scenario, people are, you don't know, like I've set up this thing. I'm just getting a bunch of false positives or these, I just set up these random thresholds and it's not catching things or it's catching too many things. And, um, you look there for the later parts of the process here, the tooling is not there yet. Um, root cause analysis is another thing. So because of that, people are like either not doing it or they get a little exhausted of trying something that wasted their time and, and a lot of false positives and they don't do it uh, or they have something just basic that they've set up. So um, yeah, that, that's kind of like the maturity uh, that I'm seeing. But as a whole, I think people are people know the right thing to do, at least more people are learning about that. Um, but then, how to do it? It's easier for the earlier parts, but the later parts of the stack is becoming difficult. But I would say, as a whole, like the data data ops space, that's so so much more mature uh, than than this space, which is good because it's the it's the upstream pro, uh, part. So glad that that that's that stack is being um, is quite mature already.
0: And in terms of kind of the extent to which people uh, rely on open source solutions and stitching things together versus going with kind of bigger platforms, um, yeah, how's that?
1: Oh, man, that's a really good question. I would say the bigger the company that I see, the more hesitant they are to go with something open source, only because they are willing and able to pay the money for enterprise support. And that's so important to them, to be able to... Have someone on call or have someone to help when something goes wrong. I do see a lot of startups getting on the open source bit. Yeah, I'm a little hesitant to make like a general statement here, but yeah, it's tough, right? I was looking at this one repository a couple months ago, it was like interpretability versus transformers or something. There is no like enterprise-grade product for that, and you really need this, and you don't want to build it yourself or think about it yourself. So you leverage the open source thing, but There's no real proper testing around that. And you have to do that for your scenario. And there's a lot of overhead that comes in. And in general, I think open source is great. Let's say for tooling, right? In our space, it's great to get started with the tooling and see how things work. And you can get pretty far these days. I think it's a good thing that something's open source, but there's a company around it. You don't just have kind of random people, which is amazing that, you know, I think like like scikit-learn, numpy, all these things, uh, are driven by probably a handful of people that are working on it full-time, which is amazing. But I think the pattern that I've seen in the last five years is you have this open source piece, a lot of grassroots movement, no friction in terms of wanting to try something out, seeing how it works. But then you have this company around it for this you know, production-grade enterprise support, which every company that's doing something meaningful will absolutely want. And there's responsibility, right, in terms of who's maintaining it. So I love that. And there's also the other pattern where something is open source, but then you have multiple companies who are offering overlapping, but usually very different offerings on top of that. Uh, you know, like Flight comes, for example. You have like biggest companies in the world, like Stripe, Lyft, et cetera, using Flight for orchestration. But then there's other companies that are using that open source to help manage it or build extra other features on top of it, et cetera. So these kinds of things I'm seeing a lot of adoption for. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's, that's definitely like a good thing. But yeah, just like, a random repository, interesting repository that someone put up there. Uh the last commit was you know two years ago on a February. Probably most companies are not going to use that. Um they may look at it if they were trying to build something similar, but yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um one concern that I often um hear voiced, uh, and I can kind of understand it somehow, um uh, even just from, from kind of personal experience, like it's it's definitely, as you were saying earlier. It's definitely much easier to to get going with things, uh, to try things out. There's a lot of kind of easy paths to training your first model or or whatever. Like even perhaps solving a kind of a moderately hard problem in in, in some domains. Like that's that's um, especially with you know wide availability of pretty decent and large kind of pre-trained models and and so on. Like you can you can get pretty far already with. Maybe not necessarily so much time, even. Mm -hmm. Um, But you know, at a certain point, you'll um, you'll either hit something, or or maybe you'll you'll blow, you'll go straight past it without even knowing that you just um, you know you miss something very real that means that your model is completely useless. Or Mm -hmm. or in the health health space, you know, you have a um, lot of concerns about data privacy and and how to do this in a responsible manner uh, and so on. So how, yeah, I guess how, maybe from the education angle, but from whatever angle you'd like, like how do we balance this? The fact that we do want people to be, um, you know, we do want in the end, we do want people to not miss these things.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like, the slight mismatch between like the engineering side and the technical side, and then potentially missing something on the domain side to, like, just because it's possible, technically you spend all this time and effort working on it, but you, you might, might be like the wrong thing or is this slightly different?
0: Or even not necessarily. I mean, there's been quite a bit of work recently on just the, this kind of reproducibility crisis for, mm-hmm. um, for ML and deep learning and so on um, mm-hmm. where, yeah, just like a whole bunch of things are, yeah, not not what we thought they were necessarily, or um, aren't aren't going as well. Um, uh, yeah, I see. Okay,
1: um, so you're asking like how 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 should people think about these things so they don't miss miss something like this? I think I, the one I the one you're talking about, maybe I saw a different one, but I saw one specifically in the health space, and it was just I, I want to say like eighty percent of the so people had like projects uh, in industry. Uh, I think it's from Princeton here, and then on the on the right column they had like what they did wrong, and I, I want to say eighty percent was like they just uh, either shared the test and train split here, uh, or or like just didn't have splits and just like reported it's that kind of thing. Yeah, that yeah, kind of yeah, a thing. Yeah. Okay, um, yeah. From the education angle, <laughs> I think it's so important to like think about these things. Um, as I'm saying this, I'm just getting all these flashbacks of things that I've done that I've missed in the past. I'll, I'll share one of them that just came to me. Um, I mean, the way I learned it is, and again, I, I think I've been so grateful for this. Uh, people were there to actually catch this, right? And I think this is why in a team, your PRs and your team process for actually like pushing code to every level, uh, stage, product, whatever it is, It's so important to have this kind of review process and hopefully you have some kind of a mentor figure or or or, you know someone who's done this a lot longer than you in your team um if you don't you know we'll talk about that scenario as well but um i think that's amazing like being able to and you can't just like dump a whole repo on someone right the process is super important having saying this is what i'm this is what we're working on this like micro bit pushing that and being able to test everything around that i think is super crucial um, the issue that came up to that just came to my mind, this was maybe like five or six years ago. Um, I was creating a dictionary again, uh, the test train split sounds like a joke, but there's so many variations to that. I'll share the one I'm sharing right now. It boils down to test train split. So, um, I think I had, uh, I created my splits properly, made sure it was a classification task, made sure the class, you know, distributions were same across all the splits, but then when I created my uh, vocabulary, like for encoding labels, for example, uh, or sorry, encoding the inputs, I had used like the entire set. So there were no like unknown terms. Uh, let's say it's like a word level, right? So there are no unknown terms and you can't do that. Uh, and it's not like a direct trust train split, but it is like I've, it's it's a form of data leak here. So something like this, I had someone who actually ca- caught that uh, during a PR and told me hey th- this and it was like it's a one little toggle, right it's this entire instead of, instead of this one entire data set data frame it's just this split. the model will work, everything will go through no errors will happen. I'll have actually I'll have fantastic performance probably um, but this, it's horrible right when you actually deploy this, you'll you'll notice it hopefully. Um, but yeah, something because like I just had mentors I think now years later, for the more mature parts of the stack, I think there's almost like checklists. That you should uh, think about for each of the different processes. The later ones, they're being made uh, over time. Um, but yeah, these these are the kinds of things, right? These are the kinds of things we want to start teaching people. Uh, like, what are what do you think about the, how do you think about the process as a whole? Not necessarily how to do it with like the specific tool. It's like, what is it? How do you do it as a whole? And then if you have a tool that does it, great. Now you know why you're doing it. Um, but yeah, it's I mean, it's easy to miss this, uh, even when you're like coding by yourself at home. It's you just start coding you're developing and you may know this but you just you just miss it because you're you're in the zone you're doing something so it's really good to have a process around a review and approval and having uh, you should and you should be reading other people's code too um yeah i think that's super super important
0: yeah i'd i'd love to hear you you mentioned the kind of the the scenario where you don't have that review process around you and those those people around you cuz i i wonder whether um i don't know thinking just globally whether that's more the norm or increasingly gonna be more of a thing particularly um with you know more and more domain experts having at least that opportunity like we were saying to 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 learn things and to get started, but then maybe there aren't just aren't people in your particular country or there aren't enough of them to go around to mentor everyone who's, who's yeah. wants to do things with with m l um and you know you have great courses like fast ai that will take you like to, to, to a pretty far level. And you've got the community around you, I guess there. Um, but again, at a certain point, like, yeah, there'll, yeah, there'll be things that you, you hit
1: you're like private PR with, uh, you know, like a discourse thing or something. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, this, I, I always recommend to people if you're coming out of grad, unless you have like a crazy startup that you just absolutely need to work on. Uh, I do recommend people join, um, a, a mid-sized slot or like a, a high, uh, like a large company, um, just because you have that mentorship built in, uh, highly, highly recommend that. And then you will, you will know, you you will become that person, right? And maybe even better, um, you can go to a startup or start your own thing after that because you understand the, all the all the kind of technical details and niche details of that. Um, so you become the expert, applied expert over time um so i highly recommend that but that again is a privilege and a luxury to be able to join a big company like that and do that so um especially in a lot of developing companies that that supports this may not necessarily exist um yeah i mean right now the the courses uh i am the reason you know i think uh jeremy does this and and i do that i do it made with ml make everything free is definitely don't want any barriers on the actual like learning side of these things anyone who wants to put the time in they should be able to go through this stuff um so i think uh, you know, hopefully that's helping out people, but yeah, uh, it's really tough, right? It's, uh, if you don't have the support and you can't openly like share the stuff that you're doing, how does it, how does
0: that work? At least some of the answer to that um, has to do with the tooling as well, that like tools shouldn't allow you to like shoot yourself in the foot or (laughs) that kind of thing as well, to some extent.
1: Yeah, I I, I think built-in like that, uh, built-in checks like that is uh, definitely a great way to Greater and enforce like best practices. Right. Um, I'm just thinking like this data leak one, it would, it would be like a, this one, maybe it's because it's kind of on the modeling side, it'd be more difficult to catch perhaps, but um, you know, let's say on like the data quality side, maybe, yeah, maybe you have some assertions that every column has tests written for it or something, or, or testing like completeness uh, coverage for uh, on the, on the, each feature or something like that. So yeah, I think tooling can can go quite far. I'm, I'm curious, um, maybe we can chat about this another time, but um if you guys are thinking about that kind of uh enforcement, right? It's kind of like a it's like a, it's a feature, right? It's a seamless enforcement f- for the user to do certain things as they're developing through the ML workflow there. Um I think that yeah, that's a really good way to insert it there.
0: I think maybe enforcement is a, is a strong word. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, definitely like I was speaking with the, uh, um, uh, couple of, um, guys from the Metaflow, uh, team, um, mm, a few right. days ago for the podcast and there, we were kind of framing uh, it around the, the idea of nudging.
1: Okay.
0: Yes. Hugo and Sabin. Um, yeah, okay. they, they oh, both nice. came on. yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we were, we were kind of talking about nudges and that like the I tool think, maybe I should like nudge, <laughs> nudge you in the right direction. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously maybe not like removing thing possibilities, but just best practice should, should kind of be baked into the, the yeah, you should have to, you should, it should be very clear when you're going against the flow. Yeah. Um, But I think there are some things where it's going to be hard, still hard to do that. I personally, the thing um, that in, in my experience working with this, where, where i feel like i'm most likely to make a mistake where it's really hard for a tool to, to make suggestions or things is just because because i don't come from a maths or uh, statistics background or any really kind of scientific background mm-hmm. i feel like it's it's quite easy for me to make errors that someone with more of a statistical mm-hmm. intuition would really pick up pick up on and you know the tools they expect you to know a lot of that um already like you can use them without knowing that um so that's the kind of thing which I think maybe is a bit bit harder. Um, yeah, no, that's
1: a really good point. Um, that's true. Yeah, I'm sure there are things that seem obvious. Um, but, you know, whether new grad or coming from a different space, it it may not be so obvious. Yeah. Yeah, ho- hopefully, you know, the kind of the ecosystem gets better to learn this. But I, I like the idea of, of the tooling nudging that too. Because um, we see it in other tools, right? Uh, if you're, you know, setting up like a new email or something, they nudge you to kind of add your SPF, do all these things to make sure you, you're doing things appropriately. Um, yeah, we, can, we can absolutely have that. Uh, like, I mean, that's kind of what all these courses are, right? Like you, this specific part of the stack, like how, why do you do it? How do you do it? And then these are the things you need to think about. Um, if you can, not even programmatically, just like in the UI or in the API, like kind of insert those things, that, that'd be pretty cool
0: um i'm kind of curious to get your take on um i guess where you see things things going not necessarily in a you know what will ml look like in in 5 years i do anyone who can predict that but just um industry trends um the kinds of things that you feel will last for um for for people who are are are, are getting into the space and, and and studying things um yeah what
1: hmm. um yeah, happy to share this stuff. Let's see something I've noticed in the last maybe two years. You tell me if this is good or bad, but um, it used to be uh, a company in this space. Uh, they they come out to do X. You know, uh, 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 we'll a concrete examples. So you know, uh, great expectations. Great company for um, creating tests to assure data quality. A lot of other tools do it too. You can do it through SQL, you can do it through, uh, you know, DBT, you can have a test everywhere, but these guys really specialize in doing it and they make it easy, Pythonic, uh, Bash, all these different ways to do it. So great adoption. So you start out for X and there's, everyone starts out this way, right? I'm I'm a company trying to do X. In general, I've seen any company that goes, and this could be because of the valuations that are happening too, which I think has gone down. uh, Any company that gets a series C or above, they're like forced to do everything end to end. Um, And we see some companies in our space that started out as X and now they have to do A through Z because they have to justify these like massive valuations. So um, this becomes interesting because you started using this company to do X and you use other tools, other best of breeds to maybe fill the other slots. But now this company is doing everything. So do you swap out everything? It It just becomes really interesting as a space to see every company start to become end-to-end like this. Um, and a lot of them become kind of closed, right? Initially they'll allow you to hook up with everything and connect with other things. But as they start to do that thing that they were hooking up with, it doesn't always make sense. And they may say they, you know, uh, you know, you want to stay, we're open platform and stuff. But at the end of the day, it's like, this is your platform end-to-end you want to be able to uh, own that entire piece. Um, so that's, that's kind of, uh, I don't know if it's good or bad necessarily, but that's kind of a movement that I've seen. A good thing that I've seen in this space is we have very, very targeted companies coming out for different industries. And I could say the names, but most people won't know them unless you're in that industry. Um, you know, for, for uh, just so people have some context, there's a company called Citrine for specifically material science analysis. Um, basically, uh, like an example would be, you have all these compounds and different compositions. I want a compound with this uh, the structure, this um, this kind of density, this the, all these different features. How can I experiment with different compounds to create that? Basically, so this is one example. This company comes in; uh, they can ingest different data sources. They can offer like systematic direction in terms of your subsequent experiments. Beautiful, right? Like targeted application knows their data space, knows how how their customers are using this, and this is happening like across the board. Um, I, obviously, I know a, a lot of health companies that are in the space, but maybe something that listeners would know is like John Snow Labs, specifically NLP for health, starting to do other things as well. But that's like their bread and butter. I love this because um, we talked about pre-trained models earlier. These people are, it's not like a general hub. These people are starting to like really get high quality pre-trained models for that specific subset. It's not just, you know, trained on all of Wikipedia or NY New York Times or something. It's like on specific subsets, even some things private, et cetera. So, uh, I love this like targeted space where these startups are coming in. Usually it's a mix of someone technical who uh, knows the machine learning and software side and then a domain, learn, uh, domain expert coming together to build this like targeted solution, which will solve not the whole thing, but some of the difficult parts of that pipeline for that industry. So I love that. And I think, um, you know, that, that Gardner hype curve for machine learning, it, it may feel like a lull to some people on social media or they're only hearing about these language models but there is a lot happening in this targeted space and you don't hear about it because either it's private or it's not sexy. Uh, but it's amazing. I, I think like people are, are actually using this stuff um, in production
0: and using it properly. Um, just before I ask the final two questions, I'm kind of curious then because, um, at the other end of the scale, you have, um, I don't know, deep mind that like, um, at least on the surface of it, you know, claims to be doing some like pretty like path-breaking stuff in terms of like health and medicine, or at least like the downstream parts of that. Um, is that, is that how you see it as well? Like, um, uh, you mean with respect to. In terms of like the, the, you, you know, pr- protein folding and the various kind of things that as a oh, result whoa. of that, that they've, they've been releasing and yeah.
1: Yeah. DeepMind's an interesting example because, um uh, so they uh, just for some context, you know, there's AlphaFold, AlphaFold two, um, and AlphaFold two as as like a domain expert is significantly better uh, in terms of actually generating more accurate uh, sequences, right, or how things actually fold. Um, and on some respects so like the pure performance side, it may be you know less performant than one, for example, but it's more actually has more utility to the to the actual domain. Um, they started a new uh, venture. Uh, still under the Alphabet umbrella, but separate from DeepMind called Isomorphic Labs, which is to kind of uh, productionize this a bit. There, I say Deep is and Isomorphic is very interesting because they're they're kind of rethinking the entire process of drug design in this case, um, which is one application of knowing how a certain protein folds. There's many other applications as well, but drug, obviously drug discovery is a big one. Um, yeah, I, I mean that it does fit with what I said earlier too, right? It's like a very targeted application from this kind of general f- way of thinking but yeah they're they're kind of like uh they're kind of like turning the entire industry upside down. Uh whereas th- some of these targeted companies they're they like fit with the existing workflows and they know how things are are, are done but um yeah that, that, that those are definitely I mean definitely everyone should be uh keeping up to date with how they're thinking about things in general but um that's amazing. I think the challenge for yeah, that them- uh, will be kind of actually assimilating in the existing workflows because your your phases of, for example, drug trials are not going to change. Uh, those are, are set. You have agencies, international and the domestic agencies, heavily kind of regulating that and as it should be. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they're thinking and what they're producing will be adopted in this because the, the protein, uh, you know, AlphaFold, the outputs of AlphaFold, for example, I think of it like an encyclopedia, where it comes out with these highly accurate protein um, folded, you know, 3D structures here, which is useful for downstream applications. It's, It's good to produce this layer of how things are folded, but then the applications that are built on top of them, these have direct impact into, you know, eventually, potentially the eventual drug that's developed, for example, or the new material that's synthesized. So there's like a lot more process, workflow, regulation, a lot of times red tape around it. So it'll be interesting to see how that fits in whereas the other two examples that i mentioned um like Citrine, for example it's it's do, it's doing something novel here but it it it's a very natural fit with how things are done right now um but yeah i think it's good great to have both classes of companies for sure yeah.
0: yeah yeah and i mean you can definitely tell i mean it's great that they're working together with um scientists and and other institutions and so on you definitely get the feeling that they're kind of chomping at the bit for the next next big challenge or, yeah. or whatever you know absolutely They're, yeah busy busy with lots of things but at their size you would hope that they would be
1: that's true actually i alex i would highly recommend you get um max uh, jaderberg so he's 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 doing the machine learning side with isomorphic uh just wonderful wonderful guy wonderful speaker uh i'm sure he i'd love to learn more details as well but uh he'd be great for listeners who are interested in specifically how is AlphaFold being Uh, leveraged and and, and even greater, even more than alpha fold is one piece, like folding is one piece of the process. There's so much more, uh, you know, like solubility, affinity. There's so many other pieces to drug discovery. And I think
0: that would be a cool, cool thing that listeners might be interested in. Nice. Thank you. Um, So we usually end with, with, with a couple of kind of quick questions. Uh, You can take them in whatever direction you'd like. Um, The first of which, um, what would be a quick win that someone can add to what they're doing currently to, um, make their productionizing of models more robust. Oh, more robust. Okay. Um, yeah.
1: I, so most most of the companies that I uh, work with these days, uh, they have something out already and, and a lot of them have, have models in production. Um, it's mostly around trust. And you know, monitoring is one side of trust, but a, a, a more upstream part of trust is like testing. So one thing that I highly recommend people do is when you're doing the offline evaluation and even the online evaluation, just have like, slices, subsets of your data. Large companies already do this. Um, their slices are a little bit different sometimes. It's like, who are the biggest paying customers? We want to make sure their stuff never goes bad. But have more uh, slices around maybe like minorities or um, you know interesting feature combinations. It also doesn't have to be explicitly sliced on your features too. A lot of them can be implicit things as well. Um, but think about, this. like sit down away from your laptop, what are the slices of data that you already know are problematic? Um, what are the slices of data that you definitely want to keep an eye on? Uh, and creating that is super easy, right? I mean, you can use, you can do it yourself with just, you know, Python um, slicing on the data frame itself. You can also, there's packages like Snorkel, et cetera. Um, yeah, absolutely. Baking those slices as part of the evaluation and then have those be reported every time you're updating something or as if you're doing CI/CD, have those be part of the consideration as well. But I think slicing is... Very underrated. I, I I see very few teams actually doing
0: it. A lot of teams know about it, but they uh, they aren't doing it. Yeah. You know? Nice. Super practical. Yeah. Um, and what um, from from the kind of I guess from the toolmaker side, what's one part of putting models into production um, that you feel is neglected or isn't hasn't been given enough attention?
1: Um. Yeah. Uh, the thing that comes to mind: a, a friend is working on this. Uh, It's, it's the idea. So a lot of projects at Apple and uh, even at at startup as well, um, they were, they would lose trust or get axed because the thing that was deployed, you know, whatever quality it was initially doing either significantly (laughs) went down in the next couple of weeks or months. And normally people like would escalate it. Sometimes it escalated. Sometimes, you know, the consumers would just stop using it and, the issue is the team that originally built it, they're already gone to the next project. Uh, and usually it's given to an SRE team that is not aware of how these systems work or like what is <laughs> it? Right they degrade, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, so you have these things that are performing poorly and there's no one left to kind of like take care of it. So I think there needs to be this baked in process for um, the friend, the friend that's working on the startup. It's more in the recommendation space where, uh, there is there's little to no label lag, so the data that's generated is is the ground truth. So the retraining process becomes quicker. But even for the those situations that have a labeling lag, there's you can have like a small stream that's labeled every day or week or whatever your labeling workflows look like. But the idea being that you want to have like this constant retraining cycle, and knowing when to retrain, uh, and then when the once the retraining happens, like having that evaluation out and knowing how do you compare. your current models you know offline evaluation report and online evaluation report with the existing one and then it's not always like oh did everything go up push the new one it's like that rarely ever happens so like prioritizing which metrics or which slices for example are are most important to you and being able to push that but having some kind of a workflow around that because most likely that large team or initial team that built that not everyone or anyone may stick around right hopefully there's but I think we talked talk for a long time. I, I am seeing like the SRE side changing as well. It's no longer just like handed off to people that don't know what this is about. Um, as the monitoring tools get better and, and there's more like importance put around maintaining quality of machine learning models, the handoff is there is still a handoff, but it's happening um, in the context of like teams that are better equipped to deal with uh, drift and degradation like that. Um, but in general, just having a workflow and like retraining, I think is super important. And it's, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think many startups uh, kind of are, are thinking about that or, or or making that like an easy workflow. Like, here's like your first version that you you developed and put it up there. We'll create like subsequent versions for you f- to compare over time as new data comes in, and then you, you should be able to push. And we'll do all the quality checks on the data side, the model side. Your code hasn't changed; it's the same same architecture and everything. But we're just retraining it for you on this new data set. Um, and and we'll let you know if things go wrong and you can push push new models, compare things. Uh, I think that, that kind of a workflow is definitely missing. Um, and the best teams do that, just it's all it's ad hoc. They do it themselves and they write custom things. But it would be nice to see that baked in a tool
0: for sure. Interestingly, I see uh, a fair bit of kind of innovation or at least um, interest in, in innovating on that in annotation companies and labeling companies mm-hmm. who you often see like taking bits of the modeling process and uh and stuff and building in kind of a lot of these kind of iterative processes around how people are labeling data and so mm-hmm. on so that a obviously just to improve the labeling process but uh often it ends up being um yeah it's much more kind of circular process than uh than previously was the case certainly yeah,
1: yeah. Well, that's a great uh, yeah that's, that's a really good example actually yeah.
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on uh, and being so generous with your, with your time and your thoughts uh, and everything. And um, yeah, uh, thank you.
1: No, glad we made this happen, Alex. And uh, yeah, happy, uh, next time, happy to dive into maybe on the more genomic side that I'm working on. I'd love to share that too. It's, um, it's a large part of it is, is machine learning, but uh, it's a lot, of, a lot of things specifically, uh, specific to the domain as well. But uh, yeah, happy to come in for another time and chat about that.
0: Excellent, I'd love that. Thank you thank you for listening to this latest episode of pipeline conversations if you enjoyed what you heard please consider giving us a review wherever you get your podcasts it helps us get seen by more people and of course it's always nice to receive feedback if you have suggestions for future guests please send them over to podcast and zenml.io thanks until next time